Um, so part of me is after going home last night and I kind of was talking to Pam about this, what's the point of Sunday school today because of yesterday? Um, but that was a little bit facetious because there are things that I'm going to talk about that they did not talk about. Um, so that's kind of important. Did, did, uh, I had somebody text me this morning, um, uh, three or four questions that yesterday prompted in their mind. Um, does any, did yesterday prompt questions in some of y'all's minds about things? You don't have to verbalize the question, but a yes or a no would help me to know if it's something that helped happen for a lot of folks. Okay, I see a couple of yes. Okay, so hopefully the process that I'm going to walk through today might answer some of those other questions. So the I'll just read you a couple of the questions that um, was given to me this morning um, because it's important. The, the, Jimmy and Scott didn't really talk about this yesterday. But it's really what we've been trying to do um, through these Sunday school lessons is where these questions are. So um, how would we understand habitual sin and depression? Do they have interplay in the life of some Christians? So that, that's a great question, and we'll talk about that. Um, what are appropriate steps of accountability to help a friend who's in depression? Um, should there be expectations of small movement in the direction of Christian fruitfulness? So in answer, I'm not going to answer the first question yet about accountability, ste appropriate steps of accountability. To the second question, I'll answer that to start off and then come back to it. Should there be expectations of small movement in the direction of Christian fruitfulness? The answer is yes, there should be expectations of growth. But don't verbalize it to them. All that's going to do is discourage them more. You should always have hope in your heart that the process of discipleship will bring this depression to fruitfulness in their life, God, to, to what God wants to do in their life. There should always be that hope. Always be that hope. But don't say it to them. Now, that conversation may come out through their encouragement as the relationship goes, but it's definitely not something that you should start with ever. Okay. So I'm going to come back to that because it's important. But I want to talk about a couple of things before we get started. Because big picture, big picture, what have we learned over the last 10 weeks? Big picture. We've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about giving hope. We've talked about grace when things are hard. We've talked about marital relationships, parents, children. We've talked about conflict. We've talked about temptation and addiction. We've talked about anxiety. But what's the big picture? Yes. Contrary to what society is going to tell you and contrary to what mental health professionals in society will tell you, the Bible has answers for everything that you deal with. Yes. Also, just following a lot of that, I think something that has come out from a, just a pastoral perspective is that we've also learned <laughs> and are moving more towards, hey, we can also do this in the body using the Bible, and that doesn't mean we don't ever sin, because we still will be using other folks that are more equipped, but we can, I think it's just starting with grace. This, it, it's something that we've talked about as elders for like years, and this is not a 12-week a, a Sunday school deal. This is a, hey, this is, th th these things are little steps to help us feel like we can do this ourselves. This is the kickoff in the football game. 
Okay, this isn't the end all be all. This is the starting place. Okay, but the other thing that I wanted you to see is there are the word that's the word. There's the world's vocabulary for a lot of the problems we've talked about, right? Um, weakness, struggle. Well, I was just weak. Oh, I'm just struggling. Um, the Bible uh, uses the phrases desires and wants, and we would call that temptation in biblical language, right? Um, conflict, anger, the feeling that goes with that generally, right? Bible calls that peacemaking. Pessimism, doubt, despair, fear, the feelings that come with that, hopelessness. The Bible talks about hope. Anxiety, we talked about that last week. The feelings, worry, fear. The Bible calls those anxious thoughts. Today, depression, the world's word, not found in the scriptures. What's the feeling attached to d depression? Maybe doubt. Despair. Despair is an elevated version of sadness. A natural occurring feeling with we talked about this last week, right? Things that cause anxiousness, that cause anxiety, are not always sins, right? The death of a loved one, the loss of a job. You expect anxiety with those things. Depression is ultimately sadness, despair. The Bible talks about sadness and despair. Look up sad. Look up despair in Scripture, and you will have more than you care to read about. So the Bible talks about it. So with all of these things that there's a worldly vocabulary for, there's a biblical vocabulary for, and the Bible deals with them if we use the right vocabulary. And I actually have a, a notebook that was put together by a bunch of biblical counselors who took absolutely everything in the in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the psychological manual they use to determine every everything that falls under that category. And they've given the world's definition, and they've given the biblical definition, and the verses that go with it. Everything in the DSM has a biblical foundation. So the whole goal behind all of this is to help you see that this is still timeless today. So we see that Scripture speaks to many of these areas in the world that the Bible doesn't speak to. So Caleb came to me last Sunday after the, the section on anxiety, and his comment to me was this, and I asked his permission to talk about this because I felt this is really important because I didn't do this last week and I wanted to do it this week. So in those moments, and he's, he says he's dealt with anxiety attacks in the past. In those moments, I've got those racing thoughts. My heart's racing. I'm tensing up. I'm feeling that anxiety coming. Philippians 4 9 says, practice these things. How do I do it? What does it practically look like? Well, 
Remember, Philippians 4, 9 says to practice these things, right? So those of you who have played sports, when, in, when don't you practice? In the game. So when it's happening is the wrong time to start practicing. So to practice these things, you also have to have a game plan. So you know what you're practicing, right? So let me... Failure always comes when you fail to plan. It doesn't say that you're always going to succeed with a plan, but failure will always come if you don't plan. Okay, so remember, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, right? There's no promise that it's going to go away. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So let's take a walk through Philippians and Proverbs and see a game plan for somebody who's dealing with anxiety. And I'm going to be honest, this is going to be the same basic idea, and this is what you should do when you're dealing with temptation, when you're dealing with conflict, when you're dealing with children who are disobedient, when you're dealing with parents who are disobedient, when you're dealing with anxiety. The process is the same, the, 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 the passage of Scripture may be different. I'm going to start with Philippians 4 just because we were there last week and it should be fresh in your mind. Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is near. Remember, we don't get to be anxious for nothing until we get to the Lord is near. So if the Lord is near, what does that practically look like for somebody who's, in the case of this conversation, dealing with anxiety? Well, let me tell you what the Lord is near practically looked like in my life. 18, 19 years ago, I went through about 12 to 16 months of, uh, you would probably label it depression. Laying on the couch, not feeling like I wanted to do anything, making it very difficult to go to work. You know what the Lord is near was for me? Put on my head, headphones and I started, I, I created an encouragement playlist. These are the songs that are encouraging me in, in my difficulty. And I put those headphones on, and I go for a walk. And I'm not talking about walking around the block. I was averaging three to five miles each time I had to go out. Because my mind is racing. My thoughts are constantly absorbed in this problem. And I have got to get my mind to slow down so I can think about this. Well, if you pick good, godly, scriptural-based songs, you've got the Word of God flooding your ears while you're walking. You find yourself stopping thinking and start to singing. This is what happened to me. So God's Word was working its way in, and then once my mind slowed down again, I could then I could start talking. And that's what Philippians 4, 6, right? The Lord is listening. Right? Be anxious for nothing, but in prayers and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? So that the fact that he's listening means you should be talking. And we talked a little bit about this last week, that in your difficulty, it's not just praying for the other person or praying for yourself that you'll somehow quit being depressed. God, I don't know what to do. Have you read Psalm 42 and 43? Have you read Psalm 88 that was read last night? 
That's a cry of desperation from the heart to the God of the universe. The Lord is listening. And then Philippians 4, 7, the, Lord's, the Lord is guarding you with his peace. Not you're guarding yourself. Not, oh, I feel peaceful now. The Lord is guarding you with his peace. And then Philippians 4, 8, park your mind on the truth. So now, after my walk, after talking to God, now I'm redirecting my thinking, parking it on the truth. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So you're forcing your, you're not listening to your thoughts, you're talking to your thoughts. You see the difference? And then we get to Philippians 4.9. Practice these things. So it's taking these words of God and taking them and practically applying them to your moment. Now, this is the thing. You have to make this decision before that moment comes. You have to say, in that moment, this is what I'm going to do. And then you need somebody to walk through you through, through it with you. Because in that moment, you're not going to remember that you created this plan in the first place. Right? Jimmy talked about that last night, right? The closest person to him that kept him straight, as he liked to say, was his wife. He had a close guy who was constantly checking on him. You need someone to walk through this with you. Proverbs 18.24, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Dr. Cotton, John Newton were that for William Cooper. We talked, talked about that last night. Proverbs 11.14, no guidance the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors there is salvation. Proverbs 15.22, without consultation plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. Proverbs 24.6, for by guidance you will make war and in abundance of counselors there is salvation. Are you hearing it? You don't do this by yourself. You don't do this by yourself. There has to be somebody else to come alongside you. And if you're thinking I'm being a little overdramatic when I say for Proverbs 24, for by guidance you'll make war, folks, this is a war. Haven't you figured that out yet? This is the battle for your soul and the soul of the people that are around you. And Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus is called what? The Wonderful Counselor. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 John, the one another's that we're called to. The one another's that are alluded to in our covenant. Love one another. Have fervent love for one another. Confess to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Have humility towards one another. Fellowship with one another. And that's just a small list of all the others that are in Scripture. <coughs> so, all the this 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 process applies to all the things we've talked about. It doesn't change when we come to depression. So I'm going to kind of go a different direction than Jimmy and Scott went because I'm going to try to be a little more direct with you. Um, 
with the preface that this is this is my I'm going to be using a lot of words today. My encouragement to you is don't use a lot of words. Okay? What I've got to say today, first and foremost, is for the caregiver. So they know what the plan is. But for those of you that struggle with depression, this is for you too. Okay? But if you're coming alongside some those, remember it's one in five. So with, what, 30 people in here, six of you? If we're following the statistics. Okay? So caregiver, as, as Scott said last night, the best first step you can do is to be like Job's friends in the first seven days. Be there. Sit with them. Walk with them. The less you say in the beginning is probably the best thing that you can say. Secondly, if you're not in a strong relationship with that person, a close relationship, you have one of two options. Number one, and I, this is... Be quiet and mind your own business. If you don't have the time for them, if you don't have the time for them, be quiet and mind your own business. Or number two, invest your time in a real relationship with that person. Scott's comment from yesterday. Live what God expects from them. Doing little things. Taking them with you when you go to go someplace. Get them out of the house. Walk with them. Give them a phone call for three minutes that says, hey, thinking about you. I've been praying for you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. Those little moments so that they know that they are not alone. But if you're not willing to invest the time, mind your own business. Depression makes you aware of God. And a lot of what I'm going to say now comes directly out of this booklet that I ask you to read for today. Um, Mary, I'm always so encouraged by you because you, you're, you always come up and say, I read the book for this week. Um, a, a teacher is always encouraged by a student who does their homework. Um, depression makes you aware of God. And in the book, he talks about it from this perspective. In some ways, your depression will remind you there's a God there who loves me and cares for me and wants what's best for me. And sometimes your, dep your depression reminds you that God is there and you feel like you've been cursed. But regardless, your depression reminds you of God. And sometimes you don't want it to. So turn to God and listen. Remember Philippians 4.8, Philippians 4.6. Okay, you're talking to God, and then you focus on the truth. That focusing on the truth is you learning to listen to what he has to say, not to what the racing thoughts are going on inside of your mind. So to do that, and, and I love this about there's one small section in this book that I, I wish he had put it at the front. Remember your purpose, and I call these your marching orders. Remember, we're at war, right? 
Depression's a war for some people. Thank God that it's not a war for all of us, but it's a war for some people. Remember your marching orders. Four verses, here we go. And these are in the notes, so you can download them if you want them. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all so that they would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. And Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. These are your marching orders. And if you keep these marching orders at the forefront of your mind, it's going to be easier to love someone else. You're called to do it in the second greatest commandment. So let's consider the causes um, the causes of depression, because there's there, there are a plethora of causes for depression. And I'm going to talk about some of the stuff that they did not talk about last night, which is the physical causes of depression. And of course, if it's a physical cause of depression, there isn't a spiritual fix to something that's physical, right? It's a physical fix. So if somebody's struggling with depression, the first thing you should be doing is checking the physical and making sure they're going to see their doctor. Okay, so side effects for medication. If they're already on medication, any type of medication, every medication is a side effect. And depression may be a side effect for their medication. That needs to be checked out. Um, true medical problems can affect a person's mood. And I, I get these from um, Tom Maxim. Um, did a, did a, um, a session at an ACBC workshop on depression. And this, these are directly from him. Um, cardiac failure, hypo or hyperthyroidism, problems with the thyroid. Um, hypoglycemia, if you have low blood sugar issues. Cancers. Remember, you are, you are physical body and soul spirit. They are connected. So the physical affects the spiritual and the spiritual affects the physical. So you have to deal with the physical. Infectious diseases, tuberculosis, mono, HIV, brain and nervous system injuries, Alzheimer's, MS, brain tumors, and stroke. Did you realize that all of these things can cause depression? Chronic pain from an injury or illness. Somebody who's laid up for 12 or 16 or 20 weeks because of a car accident. Misuse of prescription medication or alcohol. Poor dietary habits. Nutritional deficiencies, eating disorders, lack of physical exercise, sleep deprivation, physical exhaustion from overwork. All of these are physical aspects. Now, could there be spiritual components to them? Yes. But you have to deal with the physical aspect. Dealing with somebody who's, who's exhausted because they work too much, you have to deal with the heart behind the work too much, is it a heart issue or is it because they have to to make ends meet for their family? So what's the, what's, what's the physical solution? Slow down a little bit, take some extra time, 
and you need to rest. Your body needs to recoup. You have to deal with the physical. So lifestyle changes, vitamin D, vitamins, mega vitamins, supplements, um, improved diet, seven to eight hours of sleep. You do realize sleep is not just for your body, it's for your mind. Your mind doesn't function well when you're not getting your sleep. Physical exercise. Um, reducing excessive activities and obligations. Too many hours at work. Too many children's activities. Parents who run constantly. Um, of course, stop using illegal drugs um, or misusing medications or alcohol. Medical treatments. So there's the physical parts of this. You can't ignore that. And I'm not saying that Jimmy and Scott did. They made it very clear that there were these. They were not going to talk about them, which is why I wanted to talk about them. Because you have to understand the whole picture. Okay. Now, spiritual causes. This has been a struggle for me, especially after yesterday. But we have to understand the whole picture. Are you given to sadness? Are you, do you have a melancholy spirit? Are you somebody who, like Jimmy, who, like Scott, are people that are naturally drawn to that depression? Now, is that natural tendency sin? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. But remember, that natural tendency for depression is a product of the fall. So it's caused by sin. You have to understand that. God did not originally create Adam with a need for depression. So it's not sin that's causing that melancholy, but it's an, it's an effect of sin. Does that make sense, the difference? Okay, so you have to understand that sin is part of this. We live in a fallen world. Sin is part of these problems. And our reaction to good things to be sad about can cause sin, right? You, you can be sad about the loss of a loved one but if that loved one was an idol in your life, now that's a sinful problem that you have to deal with. And dealing with the physical physical things, which is what medication does, deals with the physical, doesn't deal with the spiritual. So you still have to deal with the spiritual. People-pleasing. These are things that came right out of here. People-pleasing. Um, is your desire, above all things, for people to recognize your work? And when you don't get it, it drives you into depression. You're losing your idol. And God's trying to get your attention that he wants your worship. Pride. I can fix my own sin. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm terrible. I know. But if I just do this, if I work just a little harder, but it's not working and it's making me more depressed, if pride is your problem and you think you can solve your own sin, that's part of where your problem stems from. Anger. As somebody who has struggled with anger, anger turned inward is depression. Ed Welch says, if condemnation was on the other side of these hard looks, we would be foolish to continue to look at these things. But to admit your sin gets you to the cross. And in the cross, there's full forgiveness, 
hope, peace, and joy. Did you listen to Jimmy yesterday? Did, you, did anybody hear what he said? I caught it because I, I read the gospel primer um, fairly regularly. But did anybody else catch what he said? I had to preach the gospel to myself regularly. Did anybody catch him say that? A lot of the things that I'm talking about, if you were paying any close attention last night, the things that I'm talking about are the exact same <laughs> things that Jimmy said he walked through. One step at a time. You are not alone. Many people have taken this journey ahead of you. As you walk, you will find that you must tap into every resource you've ever learned about persevering through hardship. It will involve lots of moment-by-moment -moment choices. Take one minute at a time. Read one short Bible passage. Ask for help. Try to care about someone else. Move outside of yourself. Ask someone how they're doing, and so on. When in doubt, confess your unbelief. Trust in Jesus. And look for someone to love. So medication. Remember medication, when we're talking about depression, medication is a physical, not a spiritual thing. Okay, and, and, and this is... Wise people always approach decisions prayerfully. They don't put their hope in people or medicine, but in the Lord. They recognize that medication is a blessing when it helps. But they also recognize its limits. Medication can change physical symptoms, but not spiritual ones. If you choose to take medication, consider letting a wise and trusted person from your church come alongside you. It's what we've already talked about, right? The one another's. They can remind you that God is good. They can remind you that you can find power to know love, God's love and love others. And yes, that joy is possible even in depression. What about suicide? For a Christian, and I have to speak to Christians here, because only to Christians there is true hope. Death is not your call to make. Remember your purpose and your marching orders. God has called you to love your neighbor as yourself. And remember that depression is a liar. Remember Jimmy's comments yesterday? Depression wants to tell you that you are by yourself, you are alone, no one else understands, no one else is there. Depression is a liar. You need to don't listen to your feelings. You need to listen to the one who never lies. The one who promises that I will never leave you or forsake you. The one who says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And you can find your rest in him. Jimmy said it. Preach to yourself. 
and persevere, there's no guarantees of freedom. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. If you are a believer, you are guaranteed persecution. You are guaranteed tribulation. You are guaranteed difficulty. There's no guarantees of freedom from depression. There is a guarantee that your depression can be changed into a tool that God uses to grow you. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, and it doesn't feel light, is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Pray with me. Father, depression is such a hard thing for us. The melancholy, the, the struggles with sadness, the, the difficulty, the despair that tends to just pour into our lives at times. Father, for those of us that don't struggle with it, help us to sit quietly with these people that do. Help us to, to walk with them and to pray for them. Help us to do the little things. Help us to do the one and others that you have called us to for each of these. Expecting to see God's, your growth in them. Praying for your growth in them. And loving them and continuing to love them and love them the way you love us. And even in our failures and our struggles and our weaknesses, your love for us never changes. Help us to remember that. No amount of good we can do can earn more. No amount of bad that we do can earn less. Help us to remember that. And Father, for those that struggle, Father, just remind them that you are near. And help them to talk to you. Help them to not listen to their feelings and listen to their thoughts, but to those things which are true and honorable. Father, draw them closer to yourself through the depression. Father, use the depression to, to make them more like you. Give us all grace in these moments, Lord, because we all need it. In Jesus' name.